Happy resurrection, everybody. We have a living hope. Why? Because we have a living Lord who has made us alive. How good is that? That is why we call it good news. I said to Barak, really, there were exactly 100 people baptized this morning? I mean, in cricket, that's a century. Any cricket lovers out there? Thank you, my Indian and Bangladesh and Pakistani brothers and the odd English person here. But he said, actually, there was 99 people getting baptized. And then just as we were leaving, someone asked if they could be baptized. So we got the perfect century. And I thought, how beautiful of God. What a neat way of saying it. After a particular plane crash, the father of one of the men who died in the plane crash went to the site and asked the journalists or made this statement, make sure that never happens again. He lost his boy in that accident. And when death happens, that's the question we ask. How could it be avoided? Is there any way we could have not let this happen? And that's exactly what the two sisters of the dead man, Lazarus, were saying and thinking as Jesus came but didn't come on time. Jesus has heard that Lazarus, his dear friend, was sick and close to death. And his response is to stay exactly where he was for the next two days. Imagine a paramedic getting an emergency call that there's a life and death situation and they decide to stop off for a long lunch. You'd be, you'd be, up, you'd be furious with them. By the time Jesus gets to Lazarus, he not only had died, he not only missed the funeral, he'd been buried for one, two, three, four days. And so both sisters at different points, when they meet Jesus, when he finally arrives, say exactly the same thing. Listen to the tone of their voice. In John 11, John is the fourth account of the life of Jesus. We're in chapter 11, and in verse 21, sentence 21, we read, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, Martha and Mary, the two sisters. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You can see they're upset with him. They're angry. In other words, what took you so long? You could have done something about it, and now it's too late. He's dead. And not even you with all your power can fix this problem up. They knew Jesus could heal any sickness. No doubt about that. They saw him do one after another. They saw that within birth and death, between the womb and the tomb, Jesus had pretty much everything covered. He was in charge. But now that someone has died, well, he's as useless as everybody else. If only you had come on time. That's what we often say when someone dies, isn't it? If only the ambulance had come five minutes earlier. If only my brother had left for work five minutes late, he would have missed the accident. If only the doctors had diagnosed the problem more accurate. Oh, if only. Everyone in this passage, in this story, thinks that death is the limit to Jesus' power. It's a bit like medical science. You know when someone is sick before death, you want the doctor. After death... And the doctor's as useless as everyone else. All they can do is sign the death certificate. Can tell you how the person died, but not much more than that. I don't know if you've ever been to a morgue. They're not places you really want to go to, but it's where bodies are housed before they're buried. 
And I went to a morgue one day and I noticed something very different from hospitals. No one's in a rush. There's no emergency where ba -ba -ba -ba, everything's happening. Why? Because the time for making a difference has passed. If only Jesus had come earlier. I mean, he, he changed water into wine, 600 litres of water into the best red. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. He, he gave sight to men who were born blind. He allowed people who were paraplegics to get up and walk. And these were strangers to Jesus. Lazarus was someone close. He was a dear friend. Where were you? Why didn't you come? It's too late. Now, before Jesus blows their minds and ours and shatters our expectations, I want you to notice the tenderness of Jesus in this most beautiful passage. You see, when Jesus sees the tears of Martha and then he sees the tears of Mary, he doesn't say, hey, death is the next great adventure, which is what J.K. Rowling said from, uh, from uh, J.K. Rowling from Harry Potter. Uh, he doesn't say, death is such a normal part of life. He doesn't smooth over. What Jesus does is he meets death in all its ugliness and then he feels deeply those who have lost their loved one. Let me take you to some of the most precious words in the Bible. John chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Here you have the tears of God rolling down the face of Jesus. Isn't it beautiful? Here you have the tears of Jesus in the face of death and grief. But the amazing thing is not that Jesus was crying. That's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is he's crying knowing, and he knows, he's going to raise Lazarus within the hour. Where you and I might have said, ladies, relax. I am the solution to your problem. Your brother will be up and at him within an hour. I would have might have made myself the hero, not Jesus. He sees their tears, and his first instinct is to do what? To weep with them. The shortest sentence in the Bible, there it is. It's so beautiful. Do you remember what it is? Jesus wept. That's it. Two words. The God of the Bible doesn't stand at a distance on the sideline, unmoved by our pain. He's not this being detached with this heart of stone that couldn't care two hoods. He feels our pain in real time. God becomes a human and he does exactly what he requires us to do, to weep with those who weep. There is no other God in no other religion that becomes fully human in every possible way, weeps with his people, shares in their suffering, dies for their sin, and takes full responsibility for their failures. Wow. Now that's one majestic God. The contrast to that is atheism. Atheism, that doesn't make sense to me for all sorts of reasons. 
I remember a philosophy lecturer at university who tragically lost his wife. And at the funeral, he's at the funeral of his wife and he's crying. Fair enough, he loved his wife. But he's apologizing for crying at his own wife's funeral. Why? Because he kept telling his students year after year in philosophy one that there is no meaning in life, that all we are is a collection of atoms, and then when we die, we reconfigure it into other forms. And there he was. His own tears were showing how bankrupt atheism is. Of course his wife was worth crying over. She was made in the image of God. Their love was real. He was more than Adam's. At my Uncle Mick's funeral, my Uncle Mick wasn't really my Uncle Mick. He was just very close friends with my dad, and they lived across the road back in Malta. And, uh, but he was like Uncle Mick to us. And uh, I, I happen to be his favorite, but that's another story. And, uh, but at the funeral, at the funeral, I kind of held it together right up until my dad walked past the coffin. And when he walked past the coffin, he burst into tears. When my dad burst into tears, I burst into tears. Why? Because his pain was my pain. And your pain is Jesus' pain. Jesus wept. I hate death. I hate death. One of the last things I did when I left my my home country, Australia, and my last church was to take the funeral of Matt Anderson. He was 30 years old, and he died the day his mother was celebrating her birthday. And we still to this day don't know why he died. The first thing I did when I arrived in Dubai to be a pastor at Fellowship was to attend the funeral of Noreen, the memorial thanksgiving service for Noreen, who was only 35 years old and married to Adnan, her precious husband. Let's hear Adnan tell the story of his journey with Noreen's death. It was a phone call in the morning of 14th of February last year from the doctor who has done Noreen's MRI test. And he found something in those reports that she have a cancer in her throat. We went to so many doctors, chemotherapy. They were very hopeful that uh, the chemo is helping and the progress is very positive. They were very hopeful that she'll be fine within a few months. Noreen got hospitalized for 52 days and after hospitalized of 52 days she died on 21st of June I was not worried about Noreen I was saying thanks to God that she is in a good place there is no pain no more surgeries no more medicines, no more crying. I was just crying and I was just sad because of myself and my boys. My boys, they will feel that they don't have mom. It was giving me pain. 
still giving me pain my experience in this time about god it was different from my whole life i was going through in different stages of grief i felt him very close to me and he was like with me every condition again and again i'm thankful to god that he is with me and he said to me he will be with me forever in any condition doesn't matter what happened he will be with me i believe in last 8 years i lost my parents both parents my sister my wife's father and now my wife noreen these all people went to heaven because they believed in jesus christ as their savior and we have that same hope and i will give this hope to my boys as well that they will see god when they will be in heaven and their mom will be also there and the resurrection of jesus christ is clear evidence for me and for my rest of the family that everyone will be raised again from death because our hope is alive and our hope is permanent so much loss so much grief and yet so much hope all at the same time and what allowed adnan to journey was knowing that jesus weeps and still weeps with his family and his boys grief in real time do you know when jesus spoke to mary and martha he didn't just weep i don't know if you noticed he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and that phrase means that jesus was upset and angry he was upset and angry that death had destroyed the lives of those he loved he was upset and angry how death had torn apart families like adnan's he was upset and angry how sin and death had desecrated this world that he had come to bless he was upset and angry and he was about to do something about it because the solution to grief isn't just weeping with those who weep and holding someone's hand when they're sad important as that is the ultimate answer to death is resurrection that is how adnan ends that story that when he talks about norain being with his father in heaven he's not pulling a rabbit out of the hat and just wishful thinking he knows on the basis of the resurrection of jesus that his wife is away from the body and at home with the lord friends never come to terms with death it is an ugly intrusion into our world and you are supposed to hate it it is abnormal and it is your enemy that's how the bible describes it our last enemy who here hates death put up your hand because i'm i'm i want to lead a charge i hate death who hates death who hates death who hates death 
and all that it has done and damaging our world. And without Jesus, we're enslaved to the fear of death. Living in fear of that phone call, that text message, like the one I got from my sister years ago. I can still tell you exactly where I was on the road when I got the text message, the phone call to say, Ray, Reese has been killed in a hit and run accident. He's 17 years old, gone. Enslaved to the fear of death. 110 billion people, they say, have walked the face of this earth. And the one thing we all have in common is that our days are numbered. The ultimate game changer here, friends, is resurrection. It's why we have now meaning and purpose because of resurrection. Death doesn't have to wipe away your memory off the face of this earth. That you matter. That God has placed eternity in your hearts. You were built to live forever. You know that. You know that. Deep in you, you know you were meant to live forever and not three score years and ten. And then what God does is sends his son to satisfy that longing so you can live forever by giving Jesus the power over death. Look what Jesus says in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, Martha, he says, why don't you say this with me? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will, will what? Will what? Never die. Do you believe this? Yeah, we're going to die physically, but we're not talking about just physical death. We want eternal life. Jesus, very clear, I and I alone in the resurrection and the life. Everything turns on your attitude to Jesus. And to prove that these are not empty words, because let's face it, anyone can say those words. To prove that these are not empty words, what does Jesus do? He says, take me to him. Take me to the dead man. Take me to Lazarus. And when, they, when he stands in front of the tomb that has the big rock in front of him, he said, take away the stone. Okay, I could have done all that, but this is where he is different from the rest of us. And then into that open tomb now, he says, Lazarus, come out. And then that awkward pause. And then the shuffling. And out came Lazarus, gift wrapped and all, in that burial outfit that he had. My goodness. Jesus had reached over into death and grabbed this man from Sheol and plucked him back into the place of the living. And he did it with the power of his word. I couldn't get my kids to bed by 7 o'clock. Jesus, by the power of his word, pulls people out of death into life, from this age into the next. And Lazarus was given life again, able to breathe and laugh and live. He was returned back to his sister's. Their tears dried up. They were now smiling. Their hearts were full of joy. This family was put together. Death has been undone. Can you see the goodness of Jesus here? Why wouldn't you want to follow him? He's so good. And these eyewitnesses, because remember, it's all on eyewitnesses. They see what's happening, and they glimpse the glory, the godness of Jesus and what he did, and they believed. It's not blind faith. 
Christianity has never been about blind. God has always provided sufficient evidence. They let the evidence of the resurrection bring them to the right conclusion that he was the resurrection and the life. Yeah, but the resurrection of Lazarus, that's not good enough. Not even close. The resurrection of Lazarus, it lacks permanence. I mean, the poor guy's going to have to die again sometime. You know, 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years later, eventually we're going to have to go through the whole thing all over again. Call up the funeral directors, cry, 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 get sad. Oh, no more. No. All this resuscitation more than resurrection was a shadow of the ultimate resurrection. Because within weeks and only weeks away, Jesus himself would be arrested, crucified on that first Good Friday for our sins. And on the third day, just as he had promised, he will rise from the dead with a resurrected body, never to die again. And to prove that he did it, and to make sure that we who live 2,000 years afterwards understand that the risen Jesus appeared to many eyewitnesses let me, get, let me just remind you of that. Over the next seven weeks, he would appear many times, at least 10 or 11 times. He would appear to friends. Eventually, he would appear to enemies. He, would, he appeared to men and he appeared to women. He, appeared, he was seen and he was spoken to. He was touched and he was eaten with. He was spoken to individuals. He spoke to large crowds, up to 500 many of whom who saw him would end up dying because they would not deny the fact that they saw the risen Jesus. And when threatened with death itself, said, I cannot lie. I saw, I touched, I ate with Jesus after he died. He is alive, he is risen, and death has been defeated. For the first time in the history of the world, Death has finally been defeated, and one day it'll be destroyed. But I tell you this, it won't be the last time. Because any one of you who have put your faith in Jesus, as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, you too will rise from the dead. Amen? So please, take the hand of the one who can take you from death to life, from this age to the age to come. Let the evidence take you to Jesus. Resist that urge within you to want to dismiss the evidence and put it away. That's, why, that's what some of them did. Straight after Lazarus was raised to life, you know what they tried to do? They tried to kill him again. They put a contract out on Lazarus. You think that poor bloke, he's just been risen from the dead and the religious leaders want him dead. Why? Because a living Lazarus was an inconvenient truth. It meant that Jesus was Lord and you had to bow and worship him. So let's get rid of the evidence and take him out. Look, I know in this room there are those of you who believe in the Lord Jesus, many of you, and your hearts are filled with joy at just being reminded yet again that he is alive. And there are those of you who put your trust in Jesus and your hearts are filled with joy, but there is a large measure of doubt. Let these words speak into your doubt and shrink it because <laughs> Jesus wants you to not only save you, he wants you to know you're saved. But there are some of you who used to trust in Jesus and you've walked away for whatever reason. And we're really glad you're here. And Jesus wants you to know the arms are open wide. Come back. Come back. Start the journey back. And there are those of you, you've never heard this before in your life. And you think, really? 
death has been defeated. And the word to every one of us today is, well, there's two words. Number one, tomorrow is promised to nobody. <laughs> tomorrow is promised to nobody. Today is a day of salvation. And the other thing is, we have meaning now. Our lives have meaning and purpose now. Why? Because death is not the end. You know, you can't ignore death and you can't ignore Jesus. And the thing about death is it just humiliates us and humbles us. It makes everything we do meaningless if that's all there is. When my friend was seven, he grew up in a Chinese Buddhist home. When my friend Ivan was, was seven years old, he asked his dad, Dad, what's the meaning of life? And his father said to him, he said, son, there is no meaning of life. There is no God. You were once nothing. Then you were born and you became something. Then you grew up, you studied, you eventually get a job, you get a wife, you get kids, you get a family, you might get a place, and then you die, you, they put you in a box, the worms eat you, and then you're nothing again. Gee, thanks, Dad. <laughs> and I said, how did you feel when, when you were told at seven that you, you were nothing and you end up as nothing? <laughs> he said, I tell you, Ray, it stressed me out. And I stayed stressed right up until I was 20. And while he's studying at university to be a doctor, of all things, he actually starts to investigate the evidence about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and became fully persuaded that the evidence is actually solid, that Jesus is alive, that death has been defeated, that it is good news. But, he's, but he said, but you know, my father did say this. There must be more. He whispered, there must be more. Of course, there must be more. Jesus rose from the dead. Death does not have to win. Your life doesn't have to be, you know, a dash between two dates. Date of birth, date of death. You're more than a dash between two dates. Don't let death shame you. Don't let it mock you. Don't let it humiliate. Don't let it shadow you. Don't let it curse you. Don't let that bully keep on abusing you because you have no idea how much it haunts you to the depth of your soul. And you can't stand up to that bully. You can't. But Jesus can, has, and done it. He is alive, and so can you be, if only you would come to him. Friends, start the journey back to Jesus if you've walked away or never come to him. Join the rest of us and discover it is really good waking up every moment, every morning knowing you're facing eternity. Why don't you join a course? Come along and investigate. We've got a course called All About Jesus. Love you to be a part of that. Take your time to find out more about who he is. And he is awesome. You know the thing about Jesus? I not only love him, I like him. And I not only like him, I love him. And Jesus, what is he promising? My goodness, he's promising you full forgiveness. That was Good Friday. And he's promising you life everlasting. That's Easter Sunday. And with that comes meaning and purpose and love and peace and hope, living hope. The hope at the end of your life isn't some white light at the end of a tunnel. Lazarus didn't have a near-death experience. He was dead as a doornail. No, the hope at the end of your life is the living Lord Jesus, the light of the world. The one whom God has given all authority to raise the dead. You have seen today 
the tears of God rolling down the face of Jesus. And you have seen today the power of Jesus in the face of death. No longer needing to be enslaved to the fear of death and making every day absolutely meaningful and filled with joy and purpose. Why? For one reason. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you want to say, yeah, I want to believe it. If you have never said yes to Jesus or you've wandered away and want to come back to Jesus, then I want to lead you in a time where you can take the hand of Jesus by praying a prayer I'm going to pray. And what better day to become a follower of Jesus than on Easter Sunday, resurrected. Amen? This is a very good day to become a... Every day is a good day, but today is a really good day. Today, the day of salvation. I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads at this point. But for those of you who want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or to come back to Jesus after wandering away. You may be young. You may be five years old. You may be 55 years old. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you have done, whatever you're ashamed of, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, come to me and live. I'd like you now to put up your hand and not be ashamed of the prayer you're about to pray and the declaration you're allowed to make. As everyone else has got their heads bowed, I'd like you right now, let the Spirit of God speak to your spirit. Today is the day of salvation. Don't be afraid. Just put up your hand nice and straight and say, I want to live. I want to live forever. I want to live forever with Jesus. Yeah, I can see it. Good on you, brothers and sisters. And I want to live for Jesus. Put up your hand straight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Today is a day of salvation. You know tomorrow is promised to no one. Nice and straight now. Then why don't you join me in this prayer? Because it's time to come home. Don't delay. Don't delay. As Jesus, as Lazarus came out of that tomb, it's time for you to come out and no longer go private. It's time to go public with Jesus. Let me lead you in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, from today on, I take the hand of Jesus as my living Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid for all of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for defeating death once and for all. Praise you, Lord, that I am now fully forgiven. I have nothing to fear. Praise you that I will rise with a new body, fit for a new creation. From today, my life is yours, Lord. Thank you that life has now meaning and purpose, and my heart is filled with peace and love and hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, for those of you who put up your hand, we just love the ushers to actually lead you at this point during the next song to the prayer section because we'd love to take that next step with you. But just before you go, I just want to say this, if you put up your hand and said yes to Jesus for the first time, if you listen very carefully, you can hear the angels singing. 
And so what we want to do right now for the rest of us, we want to make a lot of noise just to display the kind of noise that is made in heaven right now. Because when a sinner repents, there is massive rejoicing in heaven. So can everyone right now just make a lot of noise in celebration at those who have come to Jesus? a living hope. Why? Because we have a living Lord who has made us alive. God bless you, friends.